Heavenly Father God, we just thank you for just a beautiful Easter morning, and uh, we thank you for just the power of the resurrection, and for the privilege that we have to continue to celebrate the resurrection, and that um, we truly would reverence it, and honor it, and hide it in our hearts, and that we would make it the foundation for what we build our lives upon. The promise of um, eternity with you and that the same power that we raised Christ from the dead is within us and we thank you Jesus again for your sacrifice and uh, we thank you that you are at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf and as we meet together and so many meet together all around the world Father we honor you and Jesus, we are so grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Amen. That is worship, our risen Savior.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, we thank you, God, that we can gather this morning and we can celebrate your resurrection. Thank you, Father, that you willingly laid your life down. You rose on the third day, conquering sin and death, freeing us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Your word declares that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. May it be so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. But it's living through the power of God. Not a lot of talk. And praise be to God for that. Because if all we were doing was talking about the resurrection, but there is no power exerted from it, then what would be the purpose of it? But there is power. There is great power through the resurrection. Jesus conquered sin and death. He is victorious. Uh, The Word of God says He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And as His followers, we can take comfort into knowing that we can walk in victory for what Christ obtained for us. This newness of life, not living out of the old, but walking in the fullness of a new life in Christ. The good news of the gospel, you all. That's why we're commissioned to go. Not forced, but commissioned to go. Because if you have good news, you don't want to hold it back from anyone. You want to tell others the way of freedom. The way of freedom. Go to Romans chapter 10. I hope you came hungry because we've got a lot this morning to get through, to chew on. And I encourage you to go throughout this week meditating and reading through the scriptures that we're going to read. But that's starting in Romans 10, verse 9 through 13. Romans 10, verse 9 through 13. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise be to God. If you look what it says here, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And then back in verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
this belief and this confession, they're tied together. Our confession is just not that he went to the cross, and I mentioned that last week. And the Bible says if our message is just the cross, then it's pointless. It's useless. But God, but God in his great love for us, rose up on the third day, conquering sin and death, Your belief is that He is the Son of God and your confession is that He is rose from the dead. This is what your faith in your life, this truth, is what you're living out now. It has to impact us to our very core because it transforms us. That's the resurrection power. Like you are no longer a slave to sin, to the old woman, to the old man. You no longer go back to who you were. You're pressing onward and forward and to the fullness of who Christ is. See, you aren't just saved just to be saved. You're saved with a purpose. You're saved to be a mirror of his image. The glorious resurrected Christ is whose image we are to be bearing. And I've been encouraging us and, and really been like putting it before us over the past few weeks. If you're sitting here today and you're calling yourself a Christian, you are believing and you are confessing, then understand that as a Christian, you wake up every morning behind enemy lines. Behind enemy lines. There are strongholds. That are established to try to defeat you, to keep you down. There is an enemy who will love nothing more than to destroy you. Your flesh will love nothing more than to yank you back. The world will love nothing more than to entice you. To pull you away from your belief and your confession. That's why your belief that he is the son of God, your confession that he is rose from the dead, cannot just be a lot of talk. There's a lot of people who are saying they believe, and they will even say they've confessed. But it hasn't transformed them. And so the reality is they truly don't believe. Because as you think, so you go. As you think, so you go. And I want to encourage us through all these scriptures that we're going to read today to really consider your belief and your confession. Are you a true convert? Or are you just holding a form of religion? We have brothers and sisters this morning 
gathering in Sri Lanka. How do you pronounce it? Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Heading to church. Suicide bombers go in. <laughs> Blow up churches. Blow up hotels where Christians are meeting. Over 200 dead. 400 injuries. They were just gathering to worship their risen Savior. And now the 200 that are dead are standing before Him. I said, oh Lord, Jesus. Jesus. And I can just imagine as they were getting ready for church this morning, over in that area of the world, you don't play with your faith. You don't play with your belief in your confession. It's not like, okay, I did it. I just go, this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. I just keep doing me. No, no, no. When you are believing and you are confessing Jesus, it is who you are. It's everything about you. And these people understood that. Because they understood as they were going to church this morning, the area of the world in which they live in, Christians are, are considered the lowest of the low. Their lives are given daily. And they woke up this morning, and a lot of them paid the cost. You see, they considered the cost. They didn't walk in their church buildings this morning and in their church services this morning with fear of what could be. Because by their very belief and by their very confession in Christ, fear does not bind them to keep them from gathering and worshiping in a country who's against your faith and against your God. So today when I'm talking about your belief and your confession, I, I really want it to, to settle into your heart. It's not that you're proving anything to man. And it's not even that you have to prove anything to God because he already knows. He already knows those who are responding with a sincere heart and those who are still stiff-arming him saying he's not God. They may be claiming his name, but they aren't living for him. And there's a lot of people who, who are getting platforms in our culture today who's thanking God, who's talking about Jesus, who's saying that they're Christians, but right out of the other side of their mouth, they're still staking claim to themselves. And you all, that is not a Christian and I hope you hear it through God's words. I hope you hear it through His word today. Because just as we read in Romans 10, verse 9 through 13, it is your belief and your confession that you are saved. You believe that He is the Son of God, and then you confess out of your mouth that He rose from the dead. And you will be saved. That's simple. A simple belief and a simple confession can radically change your life. 
But it has to be that. A belief and a confession. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Hold on. I'm serving up a lot today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. Paul writes, We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down to the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Strongholds. How are strongholds formed? By footholds that we give the enemy. These are thoughts that are, that are risen up, raised up, proclaimed that are contrary to God's truth that we believe. People will argue with you left and right and try to discredit Jesus. They'll say this, they'll say that. And they bring such confusions to people's hearts and minds. But a believer knows how to stand in the assurance of who Jesus is, no matter what's being said around them, no matter what's being portrayed before them, that claiming to be Christian, they don't fall in, they don't give in, they can stand in the assurance of their belief and their confession that He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. Don't forget why He rose from the dead is to defeat sin and death. And I know we like the watered-down gospel where we can all just say we're just sinners. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord today. How can we confess that he rose from the dead and we understand the purpose of that meaning, that he conquered sin and death, that he is victorious, he is the risen King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet remain shackled, to sin, to the old man, to the old ways. Because then we're only making a mockery of him. Only making a mockery. There is power in Jesus. That's why we can't just be a lot of talk. We have to live not by our own power but by his I can't change me you can't change you but that belief and that confession he can transform you and you can tear down strongholds you can bring them down you can take thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of Jesus Christ the Lord over your life and that's what I keep telling you. You're waking me up. If you're a Christian, you're waking up behind enemy lines. You've got to know where you're at. And daily, you've got to prepare your heart, your soul, your mind to stay focused on Jesus. Because we're but just a breath here today, gone tomorrow. But there is good news as Christians. There's good news. Jesus is alive. And this just shouldn't be celebrated one day a year. It's every day. It's every day you're reminding yourself of your belief and your confession. 
and you're reminding yourself of your need for Jesus daily, you're walking in the fullness and empowered by the Holy Spirit because He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. He said He would not leave us as orphans. He's given us what we need, who we need to live. The Bible says the same power that raised Him from the dead is within you if you're a believer. And so you can overcome. You can overcome anything that has held you bound. You can overcome the shame and the guilt. You see, as Christians, we are free. We're not bound by shame and guilt. Yes, we remember the old man. Yes, we remember the old woman. And yes, every now and then, they want to try to rise up. But we said, oh no, (laughs) you're staying down because you've been crucified. In Christ, it is no longer you living, but it's Christ living through you. And this is the good news, you all. This is the hope. This is what we're looking forward to. We are eagerly expecting his return to gather up those who belong to him. And that's why we want to share the good news with others. It's not to condemn people and beat people down. The gospel is not meant to enslave people. The shame and condemnation. No, the gospel is meant to open the eyes of every man and woman, boy and girl, to say, what? Jesus? Like said, we all have the condition before Christ, we're all born into sin. And we are without excuse. It's just who we are. We are rebellious by nature. That's why this rebellion has to take a blow. Something has got to defeat it. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. Because you freely lay your life down. Like, I'm no longer going to walk in shame and guilt. I'm no, no longer going to be walked um, walk by, by, by enslaved to my own self and to my own desires and to my own mindsets, to my past. Because there's good news. And Jesus, you all, transforms us. We demolish every stronghold, every high and, 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 and lofty thought that comes in to try to discourage us or to dissuade us or try to entice us to claim we are of Christ and keep living for ourselves. We say no. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 31. The wisdom of God. Listen to how Paul wrote this to the church. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligence. Of the, of the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave philosophers and scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? 
God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose those, I'm sorry, for God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And look at this. And he freed us from sin. Therefore, as scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Again, the wisdom of God, the gospel message, the message of Jesus does not make sense to the lost. But those, as you hear, as Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to pen this letter, it is to those that God has called. The call of God. Remember, God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. God is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. And that's why Jesus can state and declare, there's no other way to the Father. And listen, religion is not going to do it for you. Rules and laws do not make you right with God. You have to realize, since the beginning, the enemy will love nothing more than to pervert the truth of God and enslave God's people. But we must remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And that's why this has to be a life that is lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, not by rules and laws. Remember, the law was given to expose your sinfulness, to expose your true nature. Christ was given to destroy that nature. You see, in 1 John, remember... It says, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember basically Jesus. So again, it's not about you being perfect. But it is about Jesus and his perfection. See, for believers, they're discipled 
you know, Jesus even tells us to, to go out, <laughs> preach the gospel, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all of his commandments. Not just some of them, but all of them. And his commandments, his ways, are not burdensome. They're freeing. They're freeing. And so, but when man gets involved, and when the enemy gets involved, they like to lay all these rules down, and all these laws on you. And that burdens you, and that keeps us down. And the only thing that we can see is that we never measure up and so we look at us to try to accomplish something that Christ has accomplished. See, the Christian life, again, is a free life. I'm not living and exhausting myself trying to please God. Because I can't. I will never look at myself and say, okay, I'm okay here, I'm okay here, but not okay here, I'm okay here, I'm okay here, but I'm not okay here. Oh, what am I? No, I'm not, I'm not going to exhaust myself. I already know, and I've already come to the conclusion that in and of myself, there's nothing good. So whenever I see self, I go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't belong on the throne. <laughs> and then you just repent. You give it to Christ. You, you turn to him. And allow the Holy Spirit to bring forth the power to overcome the very thing that's trying to hold you back. You don't need someone to give you 12 steps. You just need to obey Jesus. There is a way in which you are to live as Christians. Like he's defeated sin. And if we're going to boast in anything, it's not about you. It's not about me. As Christians, all we have to boast about is the Lord. Amen. The Lord. We are living in violent times. The attacks against the church on this earth are escalating like they've never been before. Even during the days of the Bible, persecution was great. But the level that's rising upon the earth to strip the church, to destroy the truth, is escalating. That's why we're warned even here in the Bible that was written years ago to be mindful of the gospel that we're listening to. Because not only is it a physical attack against the church, it is a spiritual attack that begins to introduce thoughts and reasons in the church to dismiss Christ as the resurrected one. And says, poof, you can be a Christian. Poof, you can be a Christian. Poof, you can be a Christian. And live however you want. And that's not what you hear in God's word, ever. That's why I keep warning us, if you hear it, run from it. Because the true gospel will never give you the right to yourself. It always exposes yourself for who you really are. An enemy of the cross. And then you humble yourself and you say, Oh God, forgive me. And then you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. 
and you confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead. And in that confession and in that belief, you are saved, you are sealed, you are born again of a new nature. And now you're just learning to walk it out. To walk it out. Go to first, Second Corinthians chapter 2. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. I'm going to read a lot here. So if you have your Bible or you have your phone, turn to it. Don't get distracted because it's a lot. We're going to read about ministers of the new covenant. We're going to read about the glory of the new covenant. We're going to read about new, the new bodies and the temple of the living God. We're going to read all the way through chapter 6, verse 18. But starting in chapter 2, verse 14. But thank God He has made us His captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. This is your new life, you all. If you're sitting here today as a Christian, you are the minister of a new covenant. This is what's happening daily in your life. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But his fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. So notice as we're reading through this, there's two types of people. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Because all they hear is, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're going to die, you're going to go to hell. That's all they hear. (laughs) But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Because those who are being saved, (laughs) their eyes are opening because God is pleased to reveal himself to them through his son Jesus. And yes, in and of myself, God, all I can bring about is death and doom. But you bring life and hope and freedom. And I surrender to you. It's a sweetness. It's an aroma that begins to fill our nostrils and our very lives that draws us ever closer to him. He's not stiff-arming us. He knows our condition. He's not stiff-arming us. He's not beating us down and berating us. No, he's calling us. He wants to give us life. He is the author of life. He wants us to live and not die. Verse 17, you see, we are like the many, I'm sorry, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Even then, people were preaching the gospel just trying to make money. Remember, the gospel has been attacked on all sides. And Paul's telling the church here, wait a minute, we're not like these other people. Like what we're preaching is truth, 
It has it has changed us. It has transformed us, and we share it with you. We're not doing this just to parade it. It goes on. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, Look at this, verse 3. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident all of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The, written, the old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? You say, well, that's a lot. Oh, but it's so good. Because even as we're doing our study through the Old Testament, we are watching it and we're seeing how God has ordained His purpose. He's called these people out as his own. He's given them his laws. He's created this tabernacle. He's created these priests. Remember God's plan. All from the beginning to the end is to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. And it just wouldn't be a lot of lip service. No, it would be a genuine heart transformation. I belong to Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I will live with that understanding. And I'm free to live this way. But the old law, everything that was established in the Old Testament, all is pointing to the New Testament. Everything is pointing to Jesus. The old covenant was not put in place to remain in place. It was put in place for it not to be done away with, but to be fulfilled. And the only one who could fulfill it was Jesus. And that's the good news, you all. So we must be careful that we're not law-abiding Christians. Again, the law is too heavy. It exposes everything in us. No, we want to be true Christians who already recognize that the law has been fulfilled in Christ and there's nothing that I can do to add to what he has accomplished. 
So this is the good news. This is the glory. See, nothing is going to take this from Christ. This new covenant that is in place is established. In fact, it was established all the way from the beginning. But God brought it forth. Because ultimately, what does the new covenant represent? Love. You can't stop love. That last worship song we listened to. You can't stop love. And not love as man thinks of love, but God's love. Like God's love, you all. That all creation would see His love on the cross to die for his creation who is in complete rebellion to him but this is love and it's love being displayed every time you make a decision to die to yourself I don't want to live for me anymore I don't want to live for you see love is being displayed and nothing, nothing is going to take back or outdo what Jesus has fulfilled you all. Verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, look at this. Whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with the veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him, look at this, as we are changed into His glorious image. Therefore, since God, in His mercy, has given us, look at this, this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said that there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, 
but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it more this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, look at this, who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great, great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And listen, this isn't just for Paul. This isn't just for preachers. This isn't just for evangelists. This isn't just for super Christians. No, this is for every Christian. As you're hearing these words, if you're sitting here as a Christian, they should resonate within your heart because the same that he is speaking about himself and them is he's speaking about you and I. This is who we are. We're Christians. We are behind enemy lines and there's work to be done. So we don't get entangled with the civilian affairs. No, we stay alert and we stay steadfast to the call of God to do His will. And then we look forward to these new bodies. Chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to be put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that, that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies, look at this, will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared for us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. And so we are always confident even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. 
Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we, look at this, believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who will receive his new life will no longer, look at this, live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised up for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God and through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous, accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at the right time, I heard I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. He goes on. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. Again, he's talking about us. We patiently endure troubles. This is how we should be living. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in, right, in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. 
whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us impostors. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love from us. I'm asking you to respond as you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Paul is pleading with this church. Paul is pleading with them to come back to Christ, to remember your identity, to come back and live in the fullness of the resurrection power of the living God. Don't ignore what you first received. Don't ignore it and just walk away from it. Oh, yeah, I believe. And they said, live however you want. No, that's just a lot of talk. A Christian life is a life that is filled with the power of God. They are no longer perishing. No, because they're living. And do we understand this? No matter how the enemy wants to parade this weird prosperity gospel, name it, claim it, have your best life now, that is not the gospel. When I keep reminding us, listen, you're waking up behind enemy lines. Like on Sundays, I just have a couple hours with you in hopes to prepare you to go forth from this place the rest of the week and do diligence warring off the foolishness that will try to come and to deceive you. Like Paul is saying, look, this is how we're living. This is what's going on. But don't give up. Don't give in. Don't turn back. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing forward. Like trials are going to happen in your life. It's not going to get easier being a Christian. The more that you're on this earth, again, the attacks against Christians throughout the world are escalating. And we're also seeing it even within our own country. Not the levels that they're seeing it overseas, but you go out there and start talking about Jesus. And I'm talking about the real Jesus. You go and you start proclaiming the gospel. You go start talking about the good news of God. Get beyond just telling them God loves them. No, get to a place where you say it's because of his love that he sent his son Jesus. And there is a way to live that is right. And watch them. Turn. Because to some, you're a stench of death, doom, and gloom. I want my life. I want to live how I want to live. And now you're irritating me. I mean, for goodness sakes, Christian companies are being forced to close down. Or they're not being given the license to open up. Christian colleges are being bombarded 
with so many different things out there trying to come in to invade and to strip them down. Christian churches have gone further and further away from the true gospel because people just want to hear what sounds good to them. Don't sit me here for a couple hours reading the scripture. Tell me how my life is going to be better. just seeking after ourselves. And then we have all these people, like I said earlier, in our culture that are given these platforms who are saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm still this way. <laughs> and then they look down upon Christians who are actually upholding truth. Oh, it's going to get crazier and crazier. So don't you dare think by your confession and your belief that your life becomes this glorious life <laughs> Of this in this world. Jesus warns us, he tells us, listen, before you come after me, consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. He didn't take it lightly. Jesus knew not everyone was going to accept him. Jesus knew that. And it didn't deter him from what he came to do. He went to the cross. <laughs> But on the third day, you all, he rose up. He has stripped sin and death of its power. And now we're just waiting for his return. But while we're here, there's a way in which we are to be living. He goes on here. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a part of with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. Look at this. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You, if you are a Christian, are the temple of the living God. And you better understand this so you're not yoking yourself with people, places, and things that you ought not to be giving yourself to. Could you imagine? You're out and about. In a store, in a restaurant, at a movie theater, at a park. And you see Gilda out with another man. Making out with him. Holding his hands. You would think, what? Like, it would look weird to you. You would be like, what is she doing? Like, she's Rob's wife. And wouldn't it be funny if you went up to her and you were like, um, Gilda, what are you doing? And she tells you, don't get in my business. It's none of your concern. I do what I want. <laughs> 
Like, you would be like, what on earth? But then you see her next Sunday. Oh, praise the Lord. She's cooking. She's serving. She's doing. She's going through the motions. But you know who's waiting for her right outside in the car. It would look odd. It wouldn't look right. Something is wrong. So what do we think we're doing as the church? As the bride of Christ, we are yoked with Christ, <laughs> and yet out and about with our lovers, with our idols, just giving ourselves to anyone and anything. It looks odd. It looks weird. Because it's not supposed to be that way. You are the bride of Christ. You are God's holy people. You belong to Him. Not because He has forced you, but because He was pleased to reveal Himself to you. And He says, there is another way. There is a way unto life. Come, follow me. Like, I will be your father. Like, I'm going to adopt you into my family. You are, you are my own now. <laughs> this is the identity that I'm giving you. And this is the identity that you will live out among this world. Remember, you are purposed. You are not accident by accident here. God has prepared all of us for the generation in which we live in. Like way before the earth was formed, he thought of you. He formed you, he fashioned you. He numbered the hairs on your head, and he has prepared good works for you to do. For his kingdom. I see you have such a greater purpose and plan. And why do you think since you took your first breath, your, your flesh, the enemy in the world, wants nothing more but to silence you and to keep you down? <laughs> keep chasing after the things of this world. Keep chasing after the desires of the flesh. Keep going the ways of hell. You have a right. You have a choice. But oh, that you would hear the voice of God calling you out. Calling you to life. To life, you all. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians. This is a church in the region of Galatia. This is yet another church that Paul birthed. Established. And now he's getting messages of what's going on in this church. And yet again, he has to write to them. So we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if I had seen, I'm sorry, if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in, in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you ever experienced so much for nothing? Surely 
It was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scripture looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. The way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says... It is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promise, Holy Spirit, through faith. So again, we're, we're getting this understanding, the difference of the law and the difference in faith in Christ. That's why it is so, I can't, I can't keep saying it. It's so important that we're not getting entangled with trying to do right, with living by the law. Honoring God, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. No, your faith only comes through Jesus. And it's through your faith, it's through your belief and your confession that you begin to be transformed. Because remember what the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. I'm a dead man, I don't think this way anymore, so how do I think now? Lord, teach me, Lord, show me. I want to get around Christians so I know how I am to start living. Not because I'm being told you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. No, because if I have to, then it's law. It's a desire. I freely want to. Like, I freely want to live afresh and anew. Like, who am I now then? Like, who am I? Who are you? And I love how he says it here. Why are you trying to work out what you received in the spirit in your flesh? It cannot be done. It cannot be done. He goes on here. Dear brothers and sisters, verse 15. Here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or arm an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. 
For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? So then what was the purpose? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. And the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by doing it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it in another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as a guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And that is great news, you all. That is great news for those who are no longer under the law. And it's great news for those who are still under the law because your eyes can be open today if you would only hear and see that God is pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus. Through Jesus. Go to Philippians chapter 3. We're almost finished. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read the chapter there and then just the first verse of chapter 4. So the priceless value of knowing Christ, you all. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blood citizen of Israel and a member of the, the tribe of Benjamin. I am a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish laws. I was so jealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This is Paul. If there's anyone that could boast, he could boast. But when he became a Christian, he left it all. He goes on here. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That is our goal, you all. I no longer count on my own righteousness through, through obeying the law. Rather, look at this, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends upon faith. I want to know Christ. Oh, that this would be our prayer. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Oh, but this is good. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus possessed for me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Oh, that we should as well. Look what he says here. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. And receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, look at this. Pattern your lives after mine. And learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's talking about those sitting in church. He's not talking about the lost. They're not, they're not saying they're following Christ. He's warning them. He warns the church. Even when the church was birthed, on this earth, the church has been warned. Be careful, be careful of those who are sitting with you, who are saying they are Christians, and they're not. Be careful. Because look what he says there. They're really enemies of the cross. Look at this. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, or my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Oh, praise God. Let's go to Hebrews. 
our last portion of scripture, and then we're closing with one verse in Psalms. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Chapter 10. Chapter 9, verse 11. Christ is the perfect sacrifice to you all. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. We have entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. And those who have been here following our our, our, our trek through the Old Testament, we recognize, remember how bloody that place, that temple was? You know, they built it with their human hands. You know, I mean, there's so much blood, there's so much sacrifices. All these things are taking place. So now here, the the contrast, here the understanding of why that had to be to get us to where we are today. It says here in verse 13, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and, and people. So that all who are called on, I'm sorry, all who called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins, of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that that person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, This blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He appeared into heaven itself to appear now before God, look at this, on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. 
If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove, please listen to this, you all, to remove (laughs) sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await for him. Are you eagerly awaiting for him, you all? He goes on, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing, perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. But you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as the scriptures, I'm sorry, as it as is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though... They are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us, listen to this, to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet for by that one offering he forever made perfect listen to this y'all those who are being made holy and the holy spirit also testifies that this is so for he says this is a new covenant i will make with my people on that day says the lord i will put my laws in their hearts and i will write them on their minds Then he says, I will never again remember, my goodness, their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. I mean, come on, y'all. This is great news. Jesus did it, y'all. 
He paid the price. He's come to save mankind. Not to keep mankind enslaved to sin. There is a power in which is exerted out of a believer's life to overcome sin. To not fall into temptation because he's made a way out of every temptation. To seek after holiness. To, to live upright in a crooked world by the power of God. Not by the law of God, but by the power of God. Not for your relationship with Jesus just to become religious. Understand that's the work of the enemy. That's the work of your flesh trying to add to what Christ has done. You can't add to it. He's accomplished it. And so finally, a call to persevere on this resurrection morning. Verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, and listen to this carefully. If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's how it was back then. But he goes on, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is terrible. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all of you owned, sorry, and when all you owned were taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. 
Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure. Listen to what God says. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Oh, but we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Oh, that's my prayer for us. That we wouldn't be those who have turned away to their own destruction. That we would be those who are expecting this great salvation from Jesus himself. Last verse, Psalm 80, verse 19. Psalm 80, verse 19. The prayer I would encourage you to pray throughout this week. I would encourage you to go back through these scriptures. I would encourage you to sit and just be still. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to each one of you. It is not by accident that you're here today, that any of us are here hearing the words that have been released. These aren't the words of men or a man. These are the words of God. The resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. So turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. I'm going to close this. Two songs of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Jesus. 